So, Mark. Yes? This week's movie is set, except for, like, its opening montage, it's set in its entirety at a famous resort-y spot. Yes. Uh, I feel like this is on the tail end, but definitely ties into the big boom of resort vacation movies of 2021. I mean, I think the reason for that is the pandemic, right? Like, the whole deal with the White Lotus was that they could just block off a resort and say, we're the only people here, we're going to shoot here until we're done. And you, like, don't have to worry about people, like, coming and going and, like, COVID exposures elsewhere because, like, everybody's on site at all times. Yeah, there are several, I feel there are several bottle movies that resulted from the pandemic. I saw The Outfit the other day and, like, the Mark Rylance, like, crime tailor movie. Uh, He's a cutter, not a tailor. He's very insistent about that. And that's another one where I'm like, yep, set entirely in one location, like, six actors. This is a COVID movie. Right. You can feel it. And White Lotus, you definitely felt it, but also there was something in the air, the combination, I think, of, like, reckoning with the problematic elements of a resort, even if done in fairly, you know, not great ways, combined with the ease of filming just led to a spate of these types of movies. Sure. I mean, you've got to think about the ways that having a resort can lead to ignoring things like the way shockingly, shockingly pale girls can get shunned because they need to wear giant hats whenever they go outside and can't participate in beauty pageants. It's just so upsetting, the <laughs> the ostracization of pale women. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't even get through it. <laughs> you you have to understand that that's why they would want to use weaponized insects to kill everybody. It's the only logical end result. Was that the first of the big 2021 resort movies? I think it was. I yeah, I mean, movie. that was that was a pre-pandemic shoot. That was supposed to come out in, like, summer 2020. Right. Uh, what a great movie. If you don't know what movie we are talking about, you clearly do not listen to this podcast enough. Josh, you have not watched Barb and Star? <laughs> hey, folks. This is Will just dropping in here to share some information about how this episode is going to go. We were very excited to be talking about Fire Island this week with our very good friend and former roommate, Josh. But unfortunately, due to some technical issues, we no longer have any of Josh's audio. So the way this episode is going to work is I've cut together my and Mark's audio as best I can so you can still get some sense of the conversation the three of us had. But in the spirit of a group of friends going to stay on Fire Island for a week or so, We put a call out to our friends, past guests on this podcast, and we also put up a posting on social media inviting listeners who had seen the movie to email us with their thoughts on the movie. Is it believable? Who would they date? What would they do with it as a musical? So throughout the episode, you'll hear a little bit of me and Mark, and I'll also be dropping in some audio that we got from our friends and from our listeners. So enjoy. It's going to be something different, and I think it's pretty cool. So anyway, Mark, what is your favorite resort movie? I think I have to go. Since we have discussed Barb and Star, I do have to go with a classic, and that is Dirty Dancing. Oh, great answer. A perfect movie set all in one Catskills resort. Lots of things to say, lots of sexy dancing, and a lot of sweat. They just put out a really sweet-looking steelbook of it, and I'm annoyed because it's been less than 12 months since I bought a Blu-ray, and I can't can't justify that timeline. (laughs) I think... Even you do have your limits. Yeah. Uh, Dirty Dancing's a great answer. I feel like it's maybe the quintessential resort movie. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, I feel silly not for having thought of it. I am glad you didn't, because now you have your own answer, which I am excited to hear. Yeah, I think I really got Beach Resort lodged in my head, which is why I didn't think of Dirty Dancing, as much as we described it as a cruise ship that got grounded and sent to the mountains. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) So my answer was The Heartbreak Kid, which is a movie we should absolutely do on this podcast. What's that? It's an Elaine May movie from like 1974, and it stars the finest human to ever appear in a Muppet movie, Charles Grodin, as a like brand new newlywed. He's like on his honeymoon, and he's like married to a like woman who is perfectly nice, but like a little bit annoying. And like the first day he's sitting on the beach, 
he sees Sybil Shepherd sitting there, just like radiant <laughs> on the beach, and then he spends the rest of his honeymoon like it's horrible. His behavior is horrible. Like convince his wife that she is sick so he can hang out with Sybil Shepherd. He winds up like leaving her and trying to like chase Sybil Shepherd to Minnesota to like get together with her. And her dad is like, "This is insane." And Sybil Shepherd is kind of like playing along with him at the beach. But then like when it keeps going, and she's like, "No, I'm in college. Like this, don't be a ridiculous." And it is funny in the increasingly preposterous ways that Grodin finds to just be the absolute worst person. That sounds horrifying. It rules. It has never gotten a proper home video release. There was like one DVD in the late 90s. It's like a screwy rights thing, but that means it's like always on YouTube. So if you search YouTube for the Heartbreak Kid 1974, it'll show up. Well, I mean, I don't know if I want to watch it, but also I do want to watch it. <laughs> I will probably make us do it in the next year. It's so good. Wow. Okay. Hey, Mark and Will. It's your most verbose and I'm going to assume favorite guest, Rachel. And I am so thrilled to have the opportunity to share my thoughts about Fire Island. I watched this movie the day it came out because I had some kind of menial work to do and thought it would be more enjoyable if I put something on in the background. And man, am I glad that I picked this. The movie is a ton of fun. Not so intense that you have to be following every single thing Thing that happens. I was able to do my little spreadsheets while I watched, but some of that might be because I'm a fan of the book Pride and Prejudice, and this is an incredible adaptation, but also it felt like it was very consistent and believable within the community and the story it was telling. So even if you have no background with Pride and Prejudice, you likely will still be able to follow what's happening and enjoy it just as a story within itself, not specifically as an adaptation. So huge shout out to Joel Kim Booster for writing this screenplay that is such a nice new twist on a well-loved story. Also shout out to Joel Kim Booster for doing an awesome job acting in this. I'd say he is only overshadowed by the truly incredible Bowen Yang, second best SNL cast member behind, of course, 33-year-old Chloe Fineman, but honestly, Chloe Fineman, Bowen Yang together, just an incredible team, uh, both having come into SNL in 2019. But you know what? I'm not here to talk about SNL. I'm here to talk about Fire Island and what I thought of it. I do need to give the caveat that I'm straight, and so any assessment of believability that I give is going to be touched by that because I recognize that there can be some kind of different dynamics and norms within the straight community and the gay community when it comes to dating and romance. That said, I would give this a seven. I thought it was all pretty believable. A couple things in terms of the romance specifically were a bit of a stretch, but overall, I didn't really have any major quibbles with it. It felt like Everybody's behavior was pretty well justified by what we saw of their character and their other actions and their histories. Honestly, the most believable romances are maybe an 8, not a 10, because if anything is really truly just makes sense, fully believable, does that reflect real life? Good philosophical questions to ponder. Anyway, I honestly was going to give it an 8, but I talked myself out of it in recording this voice memo. Who I would date, if I absolutely have to pick someone, I think I would have to pick Howie, which is Bowen Yang's character, recognizing I'm probably biased by the fact that I just love Bowen Yang, but I think the way that he approaches looking for monogamy lines up a little bit more with how I approach dating. That said, I am not a big grand gesture kind of gal, so that potentially would be an issue for him because I don't know if I would be willing to make a grand gesture in the sort of sense that clearly resonates with him. So maybe we would date, but unfortunately, I don't think it will work out between the two of us. I do want to acknowledge that this movie makes some incredible use of 1990s Britney Spears. I think it could be fun if we could turn this musical adaptation of the movie into a full-on Britney Spears jukebox musical. I know that 
that already exists. But I think setting Britney Spears songs, specifically songs that came out between, let's say, 99 and like 2009. We'll do a decade of Britney from 99 to 2009. I think that this could be a really good vehicle for Britney. And I also think that Britney Spears songs would fit really well within this story. So that is my proposal that the musical adaptation draw entirely on the late 90s to late 2000s music of Britney Spears. Thanks so much, Mark and Will, for this opportunity and for highlighting such a fun movie. I hope that people listening to this episode are all encouraged to watch it. Bye! Oh, that's right. I was trying to remember why I remember something about David Henry, and it's because he got arrested for carrying a loaded gun at LAX. (laughs) That's a a real Madison Cawthorn move. He says it was an accident. He's also going to be playing Reagan in an upcoming film where Dennis Quaid plays old Reagan. Who's making that movie? Let's find out. It cannot be good. Uh, It is being directed by Sean McNamara. Okay. Who has directed uh, Cats and Dogs 3, Paws Unite, the Even Stevens movie, Casper Meets Wendy, the Bratz movie, the Sweet Life movie, He's like a preteen movie director who is now directing a Ronald Reagan biopic. It's based on the books The Crusader, Ronald Reagan and the Fall of Communism, and also God and Ronald Reagan, A Spiritual Life. Yikes! (laughs) They should, without explanation, cut in footage from The Butler where Reagan is played by Alan Rickman. Excuse me, Lee Daniels, The Butler. That's the first movie I ever saw where I was like, the Oscar buzz isn't going to pan out on this one. So, uh, gays, <laughs> welcome to <laughs> welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is a podcast dedicated to examining the least important issue facing today's world. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are talking about the brand new, came out this past Friday, Hulu romantic comedy, Fire Island, uh, starring its writer, Joel Kim Booster, and SNL standout, Bowen Yang. I have to ask to start, when did you find out it was a Pride and Prejudice adaptation? I'm trying to remember. I think it was like two days ago. We were recording this the day after it premiered. I love the Joe Wright Pride and Prejudice. That's honestly, that's what I feel I'm bringing to the table here in this episode is I've got the Pride and Prejudice knowledge. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've seen any adaptation before this one. Mark, you have seen a Pride and Prejudice adaptation because we covered Bridget Jones' diary on this podcast. That four one years is ago. the Pride and Prejudice one. I was I was like, I know I've seen an Emma adaptation because I have watched Clueless. But also, this one is so much more direct than the Bridget Jones Diary one. I mean, Colin Farrell's name is Darcy in that movie. Like, they're not hiding it. They're not hiding it, but this one has, like, every character has a parallel. Like, I couldn't tell you who the Caroline Bingley of Bridget Jones Diary is. Sure. Hey guys, this is Hashtag Fifi Fierce here to talk about Fire Island. Um, thanks so much for letting us all send in our thoughts. I am a huge Jane Austen fan, and in particular, a huge Pride and Prejudice fan. Ever since I read the book my sophomore year of high school and then became obsessed with the 2005 movie. So I really enjoyed how this movie was in particular not just a Pride and Prejudice retelling, but very clearly tracking along with the 2005 movie. I mean, they even had the iconic Darcy in the rain scene. And you can clearly tell which characters align with Austin's characters. So it was really fun to watch and be like, oh, that's Lydia or oh, that's so-and-so. So overall, I thought it was a fun watch. Um, for the believability, it's kind of hard to say. They don't really tell you where things end up at the end of the movie. And that's fine. The movie just takes place over a couple of days. So you really should not expect anything dramatic to happen in terms of marriages or engagements or anything. But like I said, they don't lead you to believe any of that is happening right then. So do I believe a bunch of hot guys partying all weekend would probably like get together? Yeah, sure. And 
some of them might even keep in touch for a while after the weekend or like form long lasting friendships or whatever. So I guess it is pretty believable. I think at the end, Noah tells Will that he's not sure that he wants anything serious. And Will's like, right now, I just want to dance. So that I, I feel like that's pretty reasonable. And with Howie and Charlie finding a real connection, you know, sometimes that happens. Like, sometimes love at first sight is a thing, even with ups and downs. And it works. So right now, I would give it a seven. Um, for who I would date, it's got to be Will. You always have to pick the Darcy character. But also, he's an attractive lawyer. He works for a nonprofit. He helps people. What's not to love? And for a pop song that should be used in a musical adaptation, I would go with Call Me Maybe. And I'm seeing it either as a song when Howie and Charlie kind of first meet, or it could be Moses, you know, the Mr. Collins character, just like going up to tons of guys and being like, hey, here's my number. Call me maybe. So yeah, so that's my take on the movie. Thanks for listening. Bye. Yeah, I gotta say, I did know this was going to be a Pride and Prejudice adaptation. It was in the announcement a year ago, but... I really enjoyed this movie. I think it's funny. I think it's a good time. More than anything else, I was really impressed with it as an adaptation, where I think it is very clearly Pride and Prejudice. Like, it follows the general beats. Like you say, Mark, it has, like, clear parallels with all the characters. But it's not just, like, a reskinned version of the novel, like, slightly transposed in time and place. Like, it's clear that Joel Kim Booster put in real, I think, intelligent thought into, like, okay... How do you keep the bones of this story while meaningfully adapting it to a different time, a different place, a different culture? So every beat of it doesn't line up with every beat of the story because there are places where it wouldn't make sense in this particular world. And I was really impressed with how he made all of that work. Mm -hmm. Noah's willful obtuseness about the issues of body image on Fire Island and the extra privilege that he carries got so old so fast. I was just like, you need to realize what you are saying. And obviously that is, you know, realistic and also honestly probably one of the truths that Pride and Prejudice captures. Where yes, absolutely. Lizzie Bennet is so bad at understanding her sister. And, and the other people in her lives, her friend... Yeah. Other sisters. Wow. Jane Austen loves a woman who just doesn't understand other people as well as she thinks she does. But that, I mean, that, yeah, that's life. It's been fun in the past week getting to read all of these interviews with Joel Kim Booster. There's a fun one at the Chicago Tribune, which is the major newspaper from where he grew up, as well as, you know, ones with uh, Variety. And there's a really great profile of him by Alex Young at Vulture. But one of the things that he talked about a lot that I think is really sweet in all this is as much as the movie textually is about these friends who aren't able to communicate, like that's one of the major issues in the movie. One of the things he's talked about over and over again was that until this project, he and Bo and Yang, who have been friends for ages, had never really felt like they were going to be able to work together because there are so few opportunities for Asian men, especially gay Asian men in comedy. and the opportunity for them to be able to do something like this together has been really sweet to read about. And it reminded me of something Stephen Yoon said during the Oscar run for Minari last year. And he said he's been so thrilled watching Bowen on Saturday Night Live because Stephen Yoon got his start in sketch comedy and got out of it because he was like, there's no room for Asian men in comedy. So this movie is really lovely to see, not just for its place as like, a, a very gay comedy, but also for how it gets to have these two guys working together. Hey, me again. So at this point, we started talking about some of the really great recent films related to the Asian and Asian American experience in particular, with a particular focus on everything, everywhere, all at once. There's been a lot of focus on Michelle Yao and all of the incredible work she does in that movie. And we talk a little bit about some of our other favorite performances in it. And really, if you have not yet seen everything everywhere all at once, it is still in many theaters and is now on demand. And it's one of the best movies of the year. So we'd really strongly encourage you to check it out. I think Kei Hu Kwan is my favorite performance in that movie. I think he's incredible in it. He has to give probably the second most number of different characters in the movie. And he has to turn on a dime. And he always manages the turn so well. And then I think who would be Jamie Lee Curtis would be third because she also has hot dog fingers. Mark, right now, tell me what Jamie Lee Curtis's name is in that movie. 
<laughs> IRS hot dog finger lady. <laughs> I could not tell you. Her name is Deidre Bobiadre. <laughs> oh my god, that's her last name. Yes. I knew uh Deirdre. Do they ever say it? I know they say Deirdre. They just say Deirdre and then it's like uh, the nameplate on her desk. Oh my god, I don't think I ever pronounced it out loud, so I never noticed. Hi, we love the love. Um, I'm Naomi. I'm a friend of the podcast, listener, and future sister-in-law of one of the hosts. I really enjoyed watching Fire Island. I had a great time watching it. I thought it was a lot of fun, just like visually and plot-wise. I always like seeing stories represented that aren't always well-represented in mainstream media, so it was really cool to see a movie that was basically exclusively about gay men. I came at this movie kind of like I imagine a lot of people watch She's the Man or 10 Things I Hate About You, where they know it's an adaptation but they're not totally familiar with the subject matter that it's based on and that's where I'm at with this. I know it's based on Pride and Prejudice but I don't really know the plot of Pride and Prejudice. I'm not that familiar with it or the characters and so I took the movie probably a little more at face value than I think people who are familiar with the the book would. As far as a believability rating, I think I want to give it a three and a half. I think that the like friendship dynamics and also the relationship dynamics are really believable. Like having a group of friends get together every year is definitely something that happens. And I imagine that relationships get really messy when you're in this big sort of party situation. People are maybe looking for different things. People maybe have previous relationships with other people there. So the kind of messiness I thought was totally believable. Where it lost some points for me was how um, terrible Charlie's ex is. I felt like he was too bad and I know Will and Mark have talked about this on the podcast before but when you have a character who is like an ex or a partner and they're just so terrible you can't understand why this really nice character would even be with them it takes away from the believability and so I thought that guy like sucked a lot to the extent that someone like Charlie who's so nice just wouldn't really be interested if I had to pick one person to date I think I would pick Charlie I think he's really cute and he has a stable job and he seems really nice but I will give the caveat that I think he kind of needs to figure himself out first it seems like he has some lingering feelings or like difficulties having been with this guy I guess when he came out he feels like he kind of owes him things even though he's obviously really terrible and so I think he needs to stand on his own two feet for a little bit before diving into a serious relationship but when at the point that he was ready I would um be there and then for a pop song for the a musical adaptation my choice would be I Knew You Were Trouble by Taylor Swift I think that it could play when we're introduced to Dex potentially because obviously he has like bad boy vibes but I also think there are several characters, especially the like group of friends that Noah and Howie are a part of, who would really like the idea that the song would play like when they were introduced, like that they're kind of like bad and trouble and that people think they're trouble when they walk in. I'm looking forward to hearing all of the other takes of other guests on the podcast and I appreciate being able to be a part of it. So speaking of groundbreaking things, the 2022 film Fire Island was originally sold as a Quibi. The 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 f-ing Quibi joke absolutely killed me. The joke in the movie is that Margaret Cho, who owns the house where they always stay on Fire Island, has lost all her money because she invested in Quibi. I lost it. Absolutely lost it. But yeah, this was originally developed as a show called Trip, which would be basically the same. It would be Bowen and Jolkin Booster on Fire Island. This I'm, this is just a cursed sentence I'm about to say. This Quibi was given a series order on March 11th, 2020. <laughs> oh my god. Quibi was so much sooner than I realized. When I was reading about the movie and I saw that this was developed as a Quibi in 2020, I was like, didn't Quibi go under in like 2015? No, because Quibi launched in like March 2020. Quibi launched like two weeks before the pandemic shut everything down. Oh, yeah. Because that then was why Jeffrey Katzenberg was giving all these interviews about like, well, the reason things aren't going well is because of the pandemic. It's like, no, the reason is because you made a terrible streaming service. But Will, everyone wants to get their quick bites. You gotta get a quick bite. Genuinely, I so strongly encourage everybody to go back and watch Quibi ads on YouTube. Because all of them are like Sophie Turner trying to understand American slang. And then the last one is like, right, and what's a Quibi? (laughs) 
<laughs> like, none of the ads are like, here's all the cool shows we got on Quibi. It's like, get this word into your head. It's going to matter. They were so confident. So, yeah, the original thing was developed as a Quibi that got sold uh, right as Hollywood was about to shut down and right as Quibi was about to launch slash shut down. When Quibi did shut down, the rights reverted to Joel Kim Booster and he reworked it into a movie, which they then sold to Searchlight. And the plan when it was sold to Searchlight was to send it straight to Hulu. So they shot it last fall in New York and on Fire Island. Oh, God, that would have been cold to wear your only your Speedo at all times. I'll say this for Quibi. From the interviews with Joel Kim Booster I was reading, they treated their creators pretty well in that, like, all the Quibi contracts said rights reverted to the creator after two years, no matter what. And when Quibi shut down, they just reverted automatically as opposed to, like, everything being put in turnaround. And I respect that. That is one thing I have heard is that Quibi was, like, the best production company to work with. Now, of course, the other issue was that Fire Island notwithstanding, Quibi bought a lot of projects that everyone else had turned down. And I have not dug into the Quibis yet because Roku bought the library. So they're all on the Roku channel now. So I have not yet seen, like, Rachel Brosnahan in love with her golden arm or anything like that. I've often thought, maybe I should watch a Quibi since they're free, but I've yet to actually bring myself to do it. We should do an episode where we watch an entire Quibi as though it's a movie. Is, didn't they make a movie? It's like, it was a movie, but it was released as Quick Bite. Like, it was considered a movie. Uh, I don't think Quibi ever did that. They were pretty adamant th- about about their quick bites, but a lot of them wind up being like movie length-ish. Yeah, maybe that was it. The Roku channel has started producing original movies. Like they're getting the Weird Al movie with Daniel Radcliffe. Oh, they are? Yeah. That's cool. Well, while this did not end up being a Quibi, I think we do need to discuss the romance of Fire Island. And we can break it into some quick bites to help us better understand the romance. Oh my god. Every week we break down the romantic plotline into five quick bites to help guide conversation. This message was from our friend and past guest, Nick, who did not identify himself in his voicemail. Things I liked about the movie are that I thought it was a really good representation of how places that can be queer spaces can also be really alienating. Like, I, I think we think of the LGBTQIA plus community to be such a monolith in many ways, or one might think that, but it truly is such a diverse slash divisive community or a, a community with many divides within it. And white gayness is taken as this thing that's been liberated and they can love who they love and get married and blah, blah, blah. But like, there's so many other challenges that I think this movie unpacks well for a certain group of people. And I think Fire Island has this imagination on, I don't know, young gay people looking at social media that it's like this oasis. But as the movie kind of recognizes, there are a lot of problems to everything that exists within even safe spaces within the queer community. So I thought that that was good. I I also would probably say that it could have done with a bit more of diversity in terms of the types of people that were in it. And I don't mean that to say that, like, it's, I mean, it's amazing to have queer Asian representation and a representation of a lot of different types of queerness within cis men. But I also felt like there were some certain lacking elements especially like trans representation for example peppermint was the only person that was in there and she was in there in the background cheering people on like it just feels it was very but we can't always i mean not every movie is for everyone or represents everyone so i i would just say that that's maybe my one con of the entire movie um i really loved it i thought it was super entertaining if I had to say my believability rating, I would probably give the romances in this movie. I think there were a lot of the most believable romance is probably the person, the guy who took an anonymous video of another guy on put it on his OnlyFans. That's probably the most real thing that happened in the whole movie. I don't know if a lot of people fall in love on Fire Island. I think it's more of a dark fist in a woods kind of situation, as the movie will let you know. So I don't know if that necessarily, I don't know if I would believe that someone would find love in that scenario. 
and the romance, especially the main romance, was a little bit, I guess, overblown in a kind of funny romantic way between Bo and Yang and the other person. But I thought the other one was a little bit more believable. So maybe I'll give it, I'll give it a seven, maybe. I would probably date, if I can't choose the son, who is a major character of the movie, the setting son was a big part of the movie and did a great job throughout the whole thing. Just a killer job on the son. I would probably choose the main uh, uh, Joel Kim Booster, probably, to date. Because I really like people who are really emotionally unavailable. And that really, uh, I think he would, he really grew a lot in the movies. I think by the end, I would sweep him up from uh, his love interest. If I had to pick a song to adapt to a musical, I would probably choose Sex Dreams by Lady Gaga because it's already kind of its own musical within itself. So I'd probably choose that to adapt to a musical because I think it would kill as its own little storyline. It's kind of its own story. That was so rude of Will. Yeah, what the heck? That is basic human decency. If someone pretends you're their boyfriend, there is a reason and just go with it. Again, just to clear things up, since we haven't said, Noah is our main character, played by, wait, wait, don't tell me, legend Joel Kim Booster. That's where everyone knows him from, right? Mm-hmm. I did have that weird experience of the first time you see a voice you know from the radio speaking, because I really do mostly know Joel Kim Booster from Wait, Wait. That is very also on brand. I was going to say, straight people have to know him from somewhere. And it's his performances on national public radio. Oh my God. Hi, guys. It's Catherine. I'm so excited to talk to you guys about Fire Island. Happy Pride Month. If you guys don't know, I am obsessed with Pride and Prejudice. I reread it at least once a year. It's my favorite book, has been since I was in high school, and I was so excited to see this new adaptation. I'm also obsessed with Bo and Yang. I think he's the most creative and original cast member on SNL and he has all of my favorite sketches so when I found out he was in this movie it made me want to see it even more. What I really loved was that Fire Island played into a bunch of our classic rom-com tropes but in what felt like a really fresh and interesting way. One of my favorite ongoing gags throughout the film was the fact that Noah's phone was broken the whole time. It felt very realistic to a drunk vacation week with your friends where something goes a little wrong, your phone's broken, nobody knows how to contact you, but it's okay. But that, you know, created some really great opportunities for the plot to continue to develop. I also just really appreciate seeing a gay rom-com and especially ones that are produced and distributed in an accessible way give me more of this type of movie i absolutely loved it and so from a believability scale honestly for me this is an eight or a nine my friends that go to fire island i've heard so many stories and i honestly believe fire island is a magical place where anything could happen so you know this doesn't seem that far-fetched for me so you know eight or nine i know it's pretty high but that's what i'm going with so for who i date from this movie honestly it's howie i know i've said i love bow and yang I just feel like Howie is someone who has his shit together, who just wants to be with someone nice and who someone who likes him and cares for him and just makes him happy. And that's really all I could ever want in a relationship. So definitely Howie. As far as pop songs for the musical adaptation of Fire Island, I thought that both the use of Last Dance by Donna Summer and sometimes by Britney Spears in the movie were absolutely perfect. I would not want to change them even if I could. But the one thing that I thought would make a superb addition is Cut to the Feeling by Carly Rae Jepsen, specifically in and around the grand romantic gesture. I think that would be really fun. It's a great song. It's a bop. Makes you want to dance. Let's go. And then the advice I took from this movie If you focus on getting your friend laid, then then maybe they'll have a hot friend for you to hook up with. I don't think you can do anything wrong with that. You're caring for your friend. You're maybe getting something out of it too. If you haven't watched this movie, please go watch this movie. A great hour and 45 minutes. I'll talk to you guys soon.
Bye. He is incredible Bingley casting because Bingley just needs to be a nice hot dummy. And the minute James Scully walks on screen, you're like, ah, oh, yes, Bingley. Yeah. <laughs> he is such perfect casting. Well, I mean, I will say one thing with it being a Pride and Prejudice adaptation is I did know how it would end. I think a thing that the movie does pretty well is as much as it telegraphs from the drop, this is a Pride and Prejudice adaptation. In this early phase of the movie, I don't feel like it's telegraphing over the top, like, this is going to be our ultimate couple, that it's going to be Noah and Will. Like, it really is... It is way more focused, at the beginning at least, on Charlie and Howie. In part, thanks to this goal that's set at the start, where Noah says, all right, Howie, I'm not going to have sex with anybody this week until you do first. So my whole goal is just going to be to get you laid. I think this goal works, though, in terms of avoiding what can be kind of annoying, which is these people who are just, like, being petty at each other. And we're like, we know you're going to wind up together, like, get to the point. Like, we don't need to watch you bicker. The movie gets around that by just kind of making its ultimate leads secondary characters in the first half of the movie. Mm -hmm. In the midst of all this, like, there are still some occasional moments of, like, possible connection where, you know, there's the night that Charlie's whole crew, or some of them, come over to Margaret Cho's house for dinner, and Will and Noah have that moment of Will saying, like, oh, like, you've brought books here, you're reading, and Noah is, like, really hostile, where he's like, yeah, fine, like, I am reading Alice Munro, I already finished Animorphs, to which I say, let's not bring Animorphs into this beef, <laughs> Animorphs deserve our respect. Well, speaking of let's not bring things into this, when they are then later playing heads up, and... <laughs> Will guesses Alicia Vikander, and everyone is, like was so rude. That's when I said, all right, I have a new mission in life, and that is to single-handedly insert Tomb Raider 2018 into the queer canon, so this disrespect will never happen again. You can't make a rainbow flag without a color puzzle. <laughs> Hi, my name is Connor Fitzpatrick. I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. Um... Talking about Fire Island, really enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of first first take. I thought it was really funny. I really liked the part where uh, they drink the pitcher of orange juice right in front of the customers um, at the very beginning of the movie. So there were some some good moments there. Also, the counting down the sunset and having to count five like five times, and the man accusing the clerk of being homophobic for pricing cheeses at eleven dollars. So this is a funny, definitely funny. Funny, good movie. As far as the romance, I don't think it's that believable. Uh, something that I really appreciated was that they did address how time works differently on Fire Island. Um, they talked about it like three different times. So I appreciate that they were able to capture sort of one of the main main issues with these movies about like all of this happening so quickly. But I don't think that really, even taking that aside, I don't think that them being friends, uh, Noah and Will being friends immediately after he gets up on stage and like does this little dance off and then suddenly they're reading at the beach together or the whole situation with Charlie having his ex come and so he's like turning reversing course with his feelings for Howie and then suddenly reverses course on the ex to have feelings for Howie again like I don't really find any of that very believable so uh, I would give it a four out of ten the character I would date out of everybody I think I think I'd have to go with sweet max uh, I like that he supports small businesses. I like that he seems responsible and is initially abstaining from drugs when everybody else is taking them. But when he puts on the chapstick, that's uh, that's that's what does it for me. I'm definitely a chapstick man myself. Um, I will say he is a bit of a wet blanket, but I think a day with him could still be pretty fun. If I had to choose a pop song for a musical adaptation, I don't know if this really counts as pop, but I think the song Sexy Villain by Remy Wolf would be really good. Um, would fit right in with the character Dex, who is uh, not a good guy. So that is my take. If you get the chance to see the movie, definitely do. And yeah, thanks. For what it's worth, Joel Kim Booster first read Pride and Prejudice on Fire Island. That tracks. <laughs> he said he spent the whole time, like, reading it and then looking up at Bo and Yang and being like, this is just like what we're doing. <laughs> I mean, I will say, Fire Island does sound like just going to other people's houses and walking around. It's very Regency in that way. Yeah. Hi, it's Mora. I thought this was a fun adaptation. There were so many parts where it was obvious to me what the connection to the original story was, but without making it feel forced. 
to me, it came across as a very natural, modern story. So I thought it was really fun seeing their house mom, I can't remember her name, become annoyingly invested in their love lives, like when she stalked Charlie on Instagram, and then yelled loudly when he introduced himself to Howie, and it was obvious she already knew so much about him from her internet stalking. That, to me, seems exactly like the kind of meddling Mrs. Bennett would do. So I thought it was really fun to see those modern twists in the characters. I also thought this movie seemed very believable. I appreciated that they were realistic about where the relationships were going after the end of the movie. Like when Charlie chases after Howie to tell him he really cares about him. I love that he made a big, I love you declaration. And everybody was like, whoa, way too soon for that. Like maybe dial things back. Howie was like, it's been a few days. I don't feel that way. So I definitely appreciated that. And when Noah and Will were talking, it was kind of just like, you know, I like you. Let's just... Let's just dance and see how it goes. You know, it all seemed very realistic in that sense to me. I really think the only thing I might dock it for on believability is them stealing that boat to make that declaration. The fact that the boat owner was on the boat when they stole it and still kind of went along with it seemed a little bit far-fetched to me. So I think pretty much for that, I would give it a 9 out of 10. But otherwise, it really did seem very believable to me. I'm definitely struggling a little bit with who I'd date, because much like in the original Pride and Prejudice, I just think so many of the characters are made out to seem kind of ridiculous. But I, I think I'll probably, probably have to go with Will. His affect is a little bit too flat for my liking, but I do feel like as he gets to know people more, he does loosen it up a little bit. He likes to read. I like to read. He's bad at dancing. I'm bad at dancing. When he and Noah go to the beach with their books and hang out and read for a little bit and then go hang out in the water, like that is my ideal day. So I think I'd probably choose him. And he also seems like a pretty stand-up guy when he helps Noah defend his other friend um, against Dex. So now if this were turned into a musical, I think Blank Space by Taylor Swift would probably be a pretty fitting song for it. You know, sometimes you're dating people, it's for forever, like Jane and Bingley, or maybe Charlie and Howie. We don't really know with this movie how that's going to end up. But sometimes it goes down in flames, like with the Wickham Dex character. And if you're going for a more traditional approach for the musical, I like the idea of that line that's saying, I've got a blank space, baby, and I'll write your name. I think that's kind of a cool connection to like writing people's names on a dance card. So I think that song would work great for a scene that takes place at one of the dances or balls. I think this was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me. Great adaptation of the rain fight scene from Pride and Prejudice. But also Noah gets called out in that fight too, where like, when Noah's going through, like, how everyone's been sort of scheming around them for the whole movie, and Will just says, the reality is no one's thinking that much about you. And that doesn't feel, it's rude, but it doesn't feel entirely uncalled for. I think the reason that I feel that it's different with Noah than it would be with anybody else in his crew is that Noah is that self-absorbed. Like, that's his whole conflict with the movie, is that he Mm -hmm. keeps insisting everyone is paying attention to how he's doing things and everybody in his crew wants to be like him like he kind of does need to be called out he's decided he cracked the code of life and he has to teach everyone exactly how to live life just like him it was kind of wild to me that noah showed will the video to tell him about it (laughs) When the point is that people shouldn't be seeing the video. I was just like, all right, Noah, you could use words to explain this. You don't have to show every person you run into on the street. Look at this bad thing. Look, look at this thing I'm trying to stop people from seeing. Hi, I'm Caleb. I've been on We Love the Love before for A Knight's Tale. Uh, Maybe my favorite movie of all time. 13 going on 30 and she's the man. Had an absolute blast. And I'm joined by somebody. Who, who am I joined by? Who are you? My name is Melissa. <laughs> I have also been on the podcast a few times to talk about Pool Boy Nightmare, Working Girl, The Mummy, and... Top Gun. Top Gun, obviously. Obviously. Go see Top Gun Maverick if Just you haven't. Today, so good. Great movie. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about any of those movies, including Top Gun Maverick. We're here to talk about Hulu's latest, Fire Island. Caleb, what'd you think? Oh, great question. Um, so I didn't sit down thinking that I would be doing something like this. You sat down and watched it and I was in the room. But and then you just got enthralled. I, I did. I actually genuinely did because it really is that good. And then you told me it was based on Pride and Prejudice, which was surprising to me. But it shouldn't have been 
only because I'd never seen Pride and Prejudice or read anything. <laughs> so it doesn't hold any meaning anyway. Yeah, you. exactly. So it's not really, you know, that doesn't, shouldn't be surprising because I have nothing to base that on. But also shouldn't be as surprising because upon watching, like it definitely catches some of that like Regency England sort of romance vibe about sort of that passive aggression, things kind of living under the surface, mm-hmm. these parties that everyone goes to and like your social standing being kind of a big thing that like it almost felt like of course and it's obvious. But I guess it wasn't obvious until they did it. But it's just it's really well done, really well written. I really just had a blast watching it. But other than that, like, you know, since we're sticking to a strict rubric, uh, rubric, moving on to believability, I kind of felt like for me, the believability rating, I cannot say that word it's today. It's a tough word. It's a tough word. I would give it a 10 out of 10. It just felt very down to earth. It felt like these are two people who would like actually talk to each other. And, and, and I'm also big. I love like enemies to lovers. That that will always be like how I want every relationship to exist. So for me, that was, uh, uh, I really feel it as a very believable relationship. Assuming that this is the main relationship we're talking about. Because, you know, the, the Howie-Charlie relationship Get, they get the big moment, if you ask me. The big kind of big dumb, as they said in the movie. That, like, I could almost talk about that. And that one also, in a way, feels very believable. But almost like an 8 out of 9, just because Charlie's so stupid. But other Thanks. than... <laughs> I know. But also, who would I date? Moving on to that. Definitely will. I think he's smart. I think he's funny. I think I personally think he's charming, even though the whole point is that he's, like, not. But I'm also... I like an asshole a little bit. Like, I mean, my friends. My friends. You know, I think I could get along. Dang, Charlie and Caleb's friends just... Taking really shots. taking L's right now. Apologies. Uh, and also, let me know if you need to beat this. I don't know. I just really like Will. Uh, I just think he's he's very smart. And also, like, he does... I can't remember what law, but it was very social justice and I just thought he seemed really nice. Other than that, like, pop song, again, on the rubric. I should have thought about this more, but I just think that their use of Perfume Genius was so good that I think anything from that album would have been great. But I'm going to stick with their choice. I mean, of these at least two Perfume Genius songs. I think J- Jason is really good. I actually think it's like a sweet song from what I remember of the lyrics and everything. But I just think it really just fits so perfectly. And I think they made that choice for a reason. So I would hope that any musical adaptation would use it as well. So that's me. What about you, Melissa? What'd you think? I absolutely loved it. Um, I first was made aware of it by my friend Eunice. Shout out to Eunice. She's a Bowen Yang stan. And I guess I am now too. Um, Because I absolutely loved it. I thought the acting, the writing, um, it just all felt really lived in and smart and witty and clever. Mm. And I just had a great time. I think when it ended, I just was like, no notes. Perfect. Like one of the best things I've seen this year. I just had a great time. I thought it was super believable. Like it felt like this is a real group of friends having the real kinds of growing pains and relationship pains that friends who almost feel like family. I mean, found family really have. So I think, yeah, I agree. 10 out of 10, super believable. I would absolutely date Will as well. He is, you know, smart and caring and thoughtful, but I love a grumpy man, plus Conrad Rigamore is super hot, so I think Will is a great choice. Pop song, I mean, I know the question is what pop song should go in a musical adaptation, but every time I'm on the show, I feel like I kind of disregard Will's rules anyway, and so let's just keep that, <laughs> that going. Um, and I'm going to say I actually really would have loved to see like a really fun in credits um, or role credits scene where we got to see all the characters um, with their actor names to Charlie XCX's boys. Cause I really love that video. And I think that could be really fun to see with these characters and these actors. So I think that would have been really endearing for sure. Right. I think that could have been a fun time, but again, that's just an additional note. I actually think to your point, the music that was selected in it was just kind of pitch perfect. Like, I think I saw Just a tweet a great movie. about this and that I really think the design choices are really on point throughout. You know, I it's, really yeah. think it's coherent, cohesive. Very well directed. Just very well put together. It's like a smart, well plotted out, well thought out, well written movie that I think everyone should see. And we're probably over the time that Will said we could do this. So... I guess we'll leave it there. (laughs) This is a great movie and everyone should check out Fire Island. Yeah, agreed. And Last Dance plays as the movie goes to credits. Uh, Great song choice. All right, let's rapid fire through these questions. So 
I think it's pretty believable. I think especially in a place where everyone is just so open to romance. Like everyone is going in even no matter what level of romance you are open to meeting new people. Why not just, you know. You know, we have not covered a straight Pride and Prejudice. Like we have not covered a, a direct adaptation of Pride and Prejudice on this podcast. But I kind of feel like this is more believable than Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. <laughs> Weirdly, because of the compressed timeline that... <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Like, it's weird to be saying this, but Pride and Prejudice takes place over a much longer time, which means like all of the negative interactions carry the weight of, over the course of months, this is what their relationship is based on. Whereas here, it's like, they have a couple of obnoxious interactions over the course of like two days, and it's possible to be like, okay, we were wrong for like two days, and we figured it out. And also, they're not married at the end. They just kiss. So, where would you rate this on our 10-point scale? Um... I don't know. It's It still feels like a lot to me. Yeah, I don't know if I could ever give any Pride and Prejudice a full 10. I was going to go with like a 9. Yeah, I think a nine. 9 is where I'm at on this too. Do you think anybody involved in this romance is dateable? I think that Will is very annoying. And I think Noah, by the end of the movie, has learned some valuable lessons. So I will give him that. But like, for me at least... I'll say at least start of the movie, no. End of the movie, maybe is for me. Maybe. If you did have to pick one person in the movie to date, whom would you choose? I love, this is the Margaret Cho character, I love when she shows up to a party and has brought half a bottle of wine. I love her, and I want to choose her, but she almost might be too chaotic for me. Yeah, I could not date her. I don't know. I think I'd probably go with Howie. Yeah. Yeah, I think Howie's the answer. Do you think either couple would stay together? I think Will and Noah, living in the same city, have a better chance. Howie and Charlie don't live anywhere near each other, so like... Yeah, I don't really see that. I don't really see either going forever, but I think they would date for a while. I think that's about right. Should there be a Fire Island stage musical? What should the music be like? You can compare to, like, a musician, another musical, like, what's the vibe? Each character would have a song that matches, like, the style of their pop girly. Okay. I think that would work. All right. So that, I think, is it for Fire Island. I'm glad we watched it. I really enjoyed it. It's a really fun movie. I I really do recommend it. Next week, we will be watching a very uh, short and sweet thriller called Jurassic Park 3. Continuing our Pride Month coverage, because as we know from the original Jurassic Park, all the dinosaurs are trans. Or, at the very least, lesbians. No, that's a thing. I know, but not all of them are trans because some of them have to stay females to lay the eggs. Oh, that's true. But until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts to help other people find the show. Last question. What is the best piece of dating advice we got from Fire Island? A great way to find out who you might be interested in dating is to like leave books lying around and see who starts talking about them. My advice is uh, people are not thinking about you as much as you think they are and probably have fewer preconceived notions of you than you think. So just open conversation. All right. Well, there you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. Bye.